Happy Lord's Day. My name is Peter. I'm one of the members here of Bethany Baptist Church. It is with my great delight that I bring the word to you from Isaiah chapter 9. So if you guys have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Before I read, a note of encouragement. Man, I'm so thankful and blessed to be here with all of you. As I see other people's failings, I am reminded of my own failings. I'm thankful that we get to pray together. I'm thankful that we get to sing together because I'm reminded that Christ has died for us and rose again. So we say happy Lord's Day, even if you've had a gloomy season this Christmas, because Christ was born, he died on a Friday, and he rose again on Sunday. Let me read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Hear then the words of our living God. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times. When ye humble the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time. And as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of Yahweh of armies will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we praise you because you have given us your word. The word made flesh dwelt among us. Father, we praise you because through the birth of this child, the Son of God, our gloom becomes glory. 
we so eagerly wait until the return of the Son who will come in glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Who has seen the movie Limitless? Anybody here? Nice. Starred by Bradley Cooper. I love this movie. I love watching movies over and over again, and this is one of my favorite movies. I have a lot of favorite movies, but Limitless is one of them. Some scientists tell us that we only use 10% of our brains. I'm not sure if I believe it. I'm not sure if it's even true. But in the movie, it's as easy as taking a pill that's clearly not FDA approved to utilize the entirety of your brain. Now, let's say you have this chance this Christmas to receive a pill, maybe from me, that's not FDA approved, but that would help you utilize the entirety of your brain 100%. Would you take it? I for sure might because I'm a little crazy. Eddie Mora in the movie Limitless takes that pill. When he takes that pill, his life filled with gloom becomes a life filled with contentment, happiness, fulfillment, and glory. Now, movie is a movie. It's not real. I love the idea pitched from the movie. How easy would it be if your sadness, if your gloom can change to contentment, fulfillment, and glory with an ease of taking a simple pill? But as we know, that's not true of as easy as taking a pill. But misery still exists in our lives. This Christmas, we're reminded in this very irregular season, people have passed away, your loved ones. People have felt isolated, feeling alone and discouraged by all the things that are going around us. So my question is, how do you move from a place of misery, from a place of gloom to a place of glory? The main idea of today's text is simple. Gloom to glory comes through the birth of a child. And obviously that child is Jesus the Christ. Again, that's gloom to glory comes through the birth of a child. Three reasons why gloom comes through or gloom to glory comes through a birth of a child. Reason number one, because Jesus is the light. He's the light who has dawned on those living in darkness. So reason number one, Jesus is the light. Reason number two, because Jesus 
ushers in victorious joy. He ushers in victorious joy. And reason number three, because Jesus is the promised son who reverses the curse. Because Jesus is the promised son who reverses the curse. Now, before we get into the first reason, let's look at where the main idea comes from in the text. Look with me to verse 1 of chapter 9 of Isaiah. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times, when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. Amen. The verse starts with the word nevertheless, which means the logic of today's text is somehow connected to the prior chapter, which is chapter 8. So what's happening in chapter 8? In chapter 8, Isaiah pronounces judgment to the people of Judah in the, king, in the days of King Ahaz. So chapter 9 is about, or chapter 9 verses 1 through 7 is about Isaiah pronouncing a triumphant promise, a child being born for us, oppressive yoke broken, garments of war used as fuel for fire. But in chapter 8, God is pronouncing judgment on the people of God who's been rebellious. What did they do? They trusted in the words of mediums and spiritists. They believed in life-destroying words rather than life-giving words. So God says, I pronounce judgment. A judgment is coming. Now, doesn't that sound a little uh, familiar? If you remember Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, who trusts in the life-destructive words, life-destroying words? Adam and Eve. They trust life-destroying words rather than trusting in life-giving words of God. In the same way, the people of God here again chooses to believe in life-destroying words. And God pronounces that dark clouds are coming. And dark clouds will hover over them, over God's people. Darkness is coming because you chose to believe in life-destroying words rather than life-giving words, which come from God. So after this pronouncement of the coming judgment comes the word, nevertheless. Yes, this judgment is coming, but nevertheless... The gloom of this distressed land will not be like that of former times. Gloom will change to honor. In other translations, the phrase bring honor is translated as made glorious or make it glorious. So the gloom of the people of God in the future will change to glory. But there are some phrases here that might be a little confusing, no? In the land of Zebulun and in the, in the land of Naphtali. What where is that located? 
Why is Isaiah mentioning the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali? Well, if you know a little bit about the geography of Israelites, the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali are in the northern parts of Israel, right next west of the Sea of Galilee. Assyrians who take Israelites into captivity and destroys the nation of Israel actually, is actually coming from the north. So guess what land is just destroyed first? The northern parts, which are the lands of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So what Isaiah is saying here, or God is saying here through Isaiah is, look, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of former times when God has brought destruction to the land and the nation of Israel, taking the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It won't be like that. But in future, what will God do? He will make it glorious. How will he make it glorious? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Verses 12 through 17, it says this. This is uh, Jesus beginning his ministry in Galilee. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Amen. So what's happening here is, after Jesus is tempted by the devil and overcomes the temptations, he begins his ministry, his earthly ministry of reconciliation, reversing the curse. His ministry begins where? Galilee. And guess where Galilee is? In the former times, Galilee is in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So the gloom that was evident in the destruction of the nation of Israel, starting from land of Zebulun and Naphtali, actually God flips that in the future by Jesus coming and beginning his ministry in those lands in Galilee. So gloom to glory comes through Jesus, through the birth of a child. Now, let's go to the first reason. First reason why glory or gloom to glory comes through the birth of a child. First reason is because Jesus is the light who has dawned on those living in darkness. Look with me to verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9. It reads, The people in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in in the land of darkness. Who are the people living in darkness? Are they Gentiles? 
Are they Jews? Are they both? Who are these people? Who says that these are Jews and Jews only? Anybody here? Nobody? PJ? Who thinks that these are Gentiles and Gentiles alone? Nobody? Who thinks these are both? The vast majority, I think. Okay. I won't give the answer. But the answer actually comes from Isaiah chapter 8, the latter part of Isaiah chapter 8. There's a lot of correlation from the people living in darkness in Isaiah chapter 8, the latter part. I'll just read verses 21 through 22. It says, They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. Now that doesn't answer the question, does it? It still says day. Look to the verses preceding. Verses 21 and 22. Verse 18. Isaiah says, Here I am with the children of Yahweh. Children Yahweh has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. So the people living in darkness are those who trust in the words of mediums and spiritists. They turn to anything and everything except God and His Word. They are those who turn to mediums and spiritists to get wisdom, to find the direction of life, to solve the deepest problems of their lives. They don't turn to God. They turn to everything and anything else but God to find the answer. They ignore and disregard the life-giving words of our God. Rather, they pay close attention to seemingly wise, yet in reality, life-destroying words. In April 2014, a ferry in South Korea carrying about 500 people, mostly high school students, sank into the ocean killing a total of 304 people out of 500. It was sinking for several hours, yet only 170 of them out of 500 were rescued. What was the reason? The captain announced repeatedly, stay calm, stay where you're at, stay put, do not move, put your life Vests on, but do not move. 
After he had made those repeated announcements, he ran away for his life without making any other announcements, killing 304 people out of 500, mostly teenagers. The announcements made by the captain seemed wise, yet it was destructive. It seemed like it was giving life to those who were sinking. Yet in the end, it brought, it brought destruction. The ferry eventually capsized, killing 304 people. So the people walking in darkness are those who trust in life-destroying words rather than life-giving words. But we must be able to distinguish what gives life and what gives death. What is of God and what is not of God. What is wise and what is foolish. If you are a Christian joining us today, you and I both know that we used to live in darkness. We used to walk in darkness. That's all we knew. Yet, God changes that story by giving us light and giving us the ability, giving us repentance and faith in Christ. Now, the people walking in darkness, seeing a great light, that's obvious to us, right? Jesus being the light. But let's find the verse that says Jesus is the light so that we might really understand. John 12, you don't have to turn there, verses 34 to 35 says this. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law, that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answers, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. So Jesus is proclaiming that he is the light and that when people receive him as the light, that they will become children of light. Verse 46 also says this. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus explicitly says that he is the light who has come into the world. And whoever believes in him will no longer remain in darkness. BBC family, have you ever been in a room that's pitch dark? It's so dark that you can't see anything in front of you. You don't know what's going on right in front of you because it's so dark. Whether you open your eyes or close your eyes, it's the same, just dark. 
Now imagine in that room, a great light appears from the ceiling. A great light bulb. All of a sudden, it turns, and your eyes are adjusting to the light. And the beams of that light is shining forth every part of that room. And now you have the ability to see what's going on in that room. You have a sense of direction. You have a sense of where you're located in that room. You're finally able to make out what's really in that room. BBC, my question is this to you. Do you actually see what's going on? Or are you closing your eyes? We used to live in darkness. We used to walk in darkness. But now, because of God's grace in Christ, He has opened our eyes, and a great, a great light has dawned, whose name is Christ. Through that light, we see everything else. The room that used to be dark, now we see. We see to which story we belong. Children, if you're here, pay attention. Try to make it a goal to read the Bible every day, whether a verse or whether a chapter, whether a passage or a simple word. Make it your goal to read the word every day and ask God to enlighten your eyes so that you would understand. If you're a non-Christian, if you're not a Christian joining us today, the Bible says that those who walk in darkness doesn't know where they're going. They don't know where they're going. But you don't think you live in darkness. How are you so sure that you're not in darkness? How are you so sure that the direction of your life, the trajectory of your life, is that of life, happiness, joy, contentment, and glory rather than misery, rather than gloom? How are you so sure? That's a question that I think is worth for you to think about if you're not a Christian joining us today. And if you're a Christian guest joining us, part of a different church, or you're looking for a church, we pray and hope that you would find a gospel preaching church as soon as possible. If you're part of a church and you're joining us, thank you for being here. An application for you is this, bind up God's word in your mind and heart so that you wouldn't believe in the words of medium, the world, spiritus, and even yourself. If you're like me, there is a constant disruption of destructive words that are brought into my mind, saying, you are never, never good enough. You will never, ever make it. These words that are constantly being fed into your mind needs to be battled, waged war against by God's word and reminder coming from God's people. So remind yourself to memorize a part of scripture, whether a verse or a passage, a promise given by God, a God who cannot lie, a God who always delivers. 
Now, the second reason why Jesus changes our gloom to glory is because Jesus ushers in victorious joy. He doesn't just usher in any kind of joy, but a victorious one. Look with me to verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 3 says this, You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. In other translations, it says that God has multiplied the nation. Now, where did you hear or read the word multiply in the Bible? Anybody have a wild guess? Where do you see or read the word multiply? Genesis, what does God say? Be fruitful and multiply. Yes. God's command is very clear from the gecko. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. Subdue the earth. Multiply other image bearers who image the glory of God. Let the glory of God be filled in the earth as you multiply other image bearers. Now that's a command given to people who are married, right? And also those who are not married by making disciples. But the word multiply also appears several chapters later in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 17. God telling Abraham that he will multiply. He's making a covenant with them and he says, you will multiply. Your nation, your people will multiply. So God makes a covenant with Abraham and promises him that he will multiply, that God will multiply him greatly. And then in the New Testament, the formation of the church, God's holy people, chosen, a royal priesthood, multiplying, God adding to their numbers day by day, and the joy of the nation is increasing. Brothers and sisters, God increases our joy. Our church and other churches aren't diminishing or stagnant in our joy. But we should be and we will be increasing in our joy as we help each other know and follow Christ. Our joy is ever increasing because we are his holy nation. And in the following verses, God tells us how and why we rejoice. It says, people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. So two ways people of God rejoice. First, during harvest time. The farmers are reaping what they have sown. They have worked hard for a season and they were seeing their fruits come to fruition. There's a sense of completeness. Celebration during harvest season. So the people of God rejoice like those who rejoice at a season of harvest. At a time when people are harvesting. That's the kind of joy that people rejoice with. 
the people of God. Second, they rejoice as they would when dividing spoils. When do you divide spoils? I'm sure not many of us, if at all, any, really any of us, would have divided spoils before. Maybe there's a battle in between your siblings and you've divided other spoils before. But in wartime, in battle, we've never divided spoils before. Because many of us have never been in a war. But my question is, when do soldiers divide spoils? After the war has been completed. After it's finished. After it's won. Again, there's a sense of completion, celebration, and victory. So the people of God rejoice as if they're in harvest time and as they are dividing spoils. A sense of completion, sense of celebration, a sense of victory. And then we move on to why. Why should the people of God rejoice? Why are they rejoicing? There are a total of three reasons here, but I'm going to go over the first two. The first reason why people have rejoiced is because God has liberated them. Look with me to verse 4. It says, For you have shattered their oppressive yoke, the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. The first reason why people have rejoiced and their joy is increasing is because God has broken the oppression, the yoke of oppression, the rod of the oppressor, the staff of those who are oppressing them. So God has liberated them. Like God has liberated his people on the day of Midian. And the day of Midian is referring back to Gideon. In the book of Judges. Now we know the story of Gideon, don't we? Gideon brings 32,000 soldiers to fight against Midianites, yet God reduces that number from 32,000 to 300. God is sending a message to Gideon and his people that the battle is Yahweh's. The battle is not ours, the battle is his. He will get glory, only he will. So God is saying, I have, I'm going to and I have liberated you from my enemies and from your enemies. And that's my doing. It's a miraculous liberation. And liberation from an oppressive yoke, unbearable rod, and a strong staff comes from the Lord alone. And now we know, living in this age, that we have been set free from what? What have we been set free from? What were we enslaved to living in darkness? We were enslaved to sin. We were oppressed by our own sinful nature, corrupt Yet God breaks us free from the enslavement to sin. And now we are enslaved to righteousness. We're enslaved to Christ. We are bond servants to Christ. Slaves of Christ. 
freely enslaved to Christ. We are liberated from the curse of the law. So that's the first reason why people of God rejoice, a miraculous liberation. But not only has he liberated his people from God's enemies, but also God has promised that he will put a final end to conflict. Look with me to verse 5. It says, For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. The symbol behind the boot and garments being burned as fuel for fire is a symbol of an end to war. It's a sign of victory, a sign of completion. Military equipment were typically set on fire as a symbol of victory in a holy war. So boots and garments of war being burned as a fuel for fire is a symbol of God saying, victory is guaranteed in the future. I will put an end to conflict. And these two grounds for the joy of God's people, can they be true without Christ? Can we be miraculously liberated from our enemy, from God's enemy, without Christ? Can conflict be finally put to end without Christ? I don't think so. These two grounds are actually grounded in more fundamental reality. Promise that a child will be given, will be born for his people. The reason why Jesus can change our gloom to glory is, is because Jesus ushers in victorious joy. And Jesus is the one who ushers that victorious joy. A couple of applications. BBC, I plead with you to train your mind to look at the bigger picture. Fickle joy may be caused by our short-sightedness or narrow-mindedness. We're like little kids who can't look beyond the parents' promise or command. So train our minds to look at the bigger picture and to understand to which story you belong. And if you're not a Christian joining us today, who do you turn to when you find yourself in a conflict? Do you turn to a friend? Do you turn to a family member? Do you turn to coworkers? Do you turn to movies? What is it that you turn to? And does it ultimately satisfy you? Does it ultimately give you an answer or, to, or is it an escape from present reality, from present conflict, a distraction? Now, the third and final reason why Jesus is the only one who can change our gloom to glory is because Jesus is the promised child who reverses the curse. As you look at verse 4, 5, and 6, each verse starts with the word for, which is describing a ground or reason. The people have rejoiced because, verse 4, because, verse 5, because, verse 6. People have rejoiced because a child will be born for us. A child isn't born to us, it's given 
for us. There's a distinction here that the child is given for God's people. And that child, that promised child, reverses the curse. A child being born for us, he reverses the curse. And that's why we ought to rejoice. Now what does this child do? What he does is described by the names that are given to him. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He is the wisest of all. He's the one who can counsel us into wisdom, a wise way of life. He is a mighty God who is powerful, who always keeps his promise, who can never fail because he always delivers. He is eternal father who cares deeply for us, who loves us. And lastly, he is the prince of peace, the one who ushers in shalom, wholeness, peace on earth. Now, when we think about the word peace, peace is contrasted with mm, what? Like have, not having peace, not having wholeness. Something is wrong. Now, what is wrong? that Jesus is named Prince of Peace. If you're not a Christian joining us today, you can pause and pay close attention to the greatest news here. And the greatest news is this. Mankind rebels against God and peace is ruined, distorted, not no wholeness in earth because man rebelled against God, because man sinned against God. So God sends his son, Christ. He lives a life that we couldn't live. He dies the death that we deserve to die because sin equals death. Sin deserves death. Sin deserves wrath of God because God is holy. So Christ is cursed on a tree. So that those who would believe in Christ and turn away from their idolatrous way of life would find peace because Jesus is peace. He ushers in peace because he brings wholeness to us. Because he lives that perfect life. Yet he dies a wretched death because of sin. Because he bears the burden and the wrath of God because of sin. So if you're not a Christian joining us today, I plead with you to repent and to turn away from your way of life that's living in darkness, walking in darkness, to turn to Christ. Because Jesus is peace that you truly want. Now as we look at the final verse, verse 7, notice the words dominion, prosperity, and reign. 
that theme of dominion, prosperity, and reign, where do you see that in the Bible? In what book? In what chapter? Having dominion, prospering, reigning. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. God says, have dominion, prosper, multiply, reign, rule. So what this child would do for us is he reverses the curse. Do you, uh, I'm not embarrassed to say that I've watched this movie, Moana? Some of you guys have seen the movie Moana. It's not the greatest movie, but in Moana, the story unfolds where there's a curse that is going through the entirety of the world. And Moana, with the help of demigod, tries to reverse the curse by returning the jewel. Now, that's similar to the story of Jesus. Him being the second Adam, he comes to reverse the curse. Because the great curse has come upon the land, affecting every single inch of that land. The curse has not only affected the resident's relationship with God and king, but also with each other and everything that they were supposed to rule over. The land cursed, even the way to obey the king, the way to obey God's command is cursed. Who will be able to undo this curse? The one who has been destined to undo the curse is born. Christ is born. The one who is destined to undo, to reverse the curse of the land. He's the one that everyone has been waiting for. Every other person failed, but he won't and he didn't. The first man failed. Every other man followed after him failed. But the second man, the second Adam, whose dominion will be vast, whose prosperity will never end, who will reign on the throne of David, he, he will succeed and he has succeeded. The reversal of the curse has begun in a sense since the birth of the God-man who was born for us and given to us. He reigns on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. His government is unlike any other government that we've seen. People, have, people are given over to cynicism easily because we've seen how government can be so corrupt because absolute power corrupts absolutely. But Jesus and his government is different from any other government that we've experienced because his kingdom 
is established and sustained with righteousness and justice. How sweet is that? The injustice that we see today won't be anymore in the future. The unrighteousness that we presently experience today will be no more in the future. When Jesus established and sustains his kingdom with righteousness and justice. But the most comforting part of this entire passage is the last sentence. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. His jealousy for his own glory will accomplish what he has promised. The promise of the son being born for us accomplished. That child, that son coming back to us, not fulfilled yet, but it will be because the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. I've heard other pastors talk about the the present circumstances and the situations of churches, how it's unhealthy and how we need to revive these churches and how the name of Christ and the reputation of Christ and the present gospel witness is in a dangerous form as if God can't do what he has promised. But that's not true. The zeal of Yahweh will accomplish what he has promised. So gloom to glory can only be changed through the birth of a child, Jesus Christ. Because he is the light. Because he ushers in victorious joy. And because he is the promised child who reverses the curse. In the movie Limitless, Eddie Mora, whose life is in misery, whose world is filled with dull and gray, even the vision that he has is just dull and gray in the beginning of the movie, it becomes vibrant and colorful after taking the pill, after taking the miracle-working pill. But the interesting part is the world that he sees hasn't changed but how he sees that world has changed. His perception, his vision has changed. And that's what happens to us when God opens our eyes and our ears to know Jesus. Now see the world through the lens of the gospel. Truly see what story you belong to. Correct and align your vision to God's story, which you play a part of a story of gloom to glory through Jesus Christ I'll pray for us Father we praise you because a child is and was born for us son given to us he has established his kingdom and will complete what he has promised when he returns. Until that day, help us to know to which story we belong to, that gloom to glory only comes through the birth of the child. In Jesus' name, amen.